Well, hey, um, isn't it amazing that just one person investing in another person can make a significant impact? And over the next several weeks, we have an emphasis here at Gospel Hope that we are calling Who's Your One? You'll hear more about that as we go through the message. And it's really encouraging all of us to identify one person in our life that we would like to help take their next spiritual step. You know, for us at Gospel Hope, disciple making is not a ministry of the local church. It's the ministry of the local church. It's all that we do here. And so we're just trying to help somebody, no matter their starting point, take their next step. To know Jesus, to walk with Jesus more fully. And we're going to encourage everyone to get involved in that here today. To kind of before the Lord, make a commitment that you are going to help someone in your life take their next spiritual step. So hopefully you'll be seeing some more stories of hope over the next several weeks as you're seeing people who one person made an influence and impact in their life. Well, I'm excited this morning for a brand new sermon series called The Depth of God's Grace from the book of Jonah. Um, Dad jokes all day long here from the book of Jonah. There's so many so just prepare to moan at me today, okay? You're just, just going to be ready for some of those really bad jokes that I find funny. And then people come up after me at the service and say, you know, I didn't laugh in the service. But now I think it's funny. And I'm like, thank you. That's exactly the response I'm looking for. All right, Jonah chapter 1. We're diving in here and learning about a rebellious people and a reluctant prophet. So let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in the next few minutes together. Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are a God who is slow to anger and abounding in compassion. I pray today we would be freshly made aware of your heart. Lord, I believe that you want to do something, not just in us individually, but in us as a church, where you would capture us, where you would capture our hearts with the heart of God, that we'd see him freshly and that we would be amazed, amazed at the mercy of Jesus. Lord, we've already sung about it. I pray you would help me, help me right now to speak to your people in a way that would move us towards your son, that would cause us to more, more clearly reflect who you are and all that you have done. Lord, I just come with open hands. We need you to fill them today. Let us hear from the good shepherd this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, in our culture today, there is what I would call the rise of the anti-hero. Have you noticed this? All over in movies and television and literature, this idea of an anti-hero is anywhere and everywhere. Here's how Wikipedia defines the idea of anti-hero. It's a main character in a story who lacks conventional heroic qualities and attributes such as idealism, courage, and morality. Although anti-heroes may sometimes perform actions that are morally correct, it's not always for the right reasons, often acting primarily out of self-interest or in ways that defy conventional ethical codes. And you don't have to look very far to find them, right? So we have people in our society right now like heroes or characters like Loki or Walter White or Harley Quinn or for those of you that are old school like an old fool, Rambo. Coming new and soon, Black Adam. Anybody excited about that one? Okay. No. Okay, good. All right. Nobody's excited about that. Good. And even 
our girl, Pippi Longstockings. Characters like this are virtually ubiquitous around us. Why? Why is that the case? I think it's because it is very easy for us to identify with them. And in fact, the Bible has some anti-heroes as well. Did you know that? Jacob. I mean, his name actually means like trickster or deceiver. Or Samson, who I like to refer to as the human volcano. He should have been a professional wrestler, right? Or, maybe most notably, is our boy today, Jonah, the reluctant prophet. That's exactly who he is. I mean, you, I read that definition from Wikipedia, and I'm like, that couldn't describe Jonah more accurately. He doesn't have any of the character qualities that you would assign to a regular hero, but in the end, he's kind of the main character of the story. And the reason that we can identify with people like that are anti-heroes is simply this. We are all a mixture of faithful and flawed. Can you feel it? Can you feel in your own heart like, Lord, I want to please you. I want to be a good person. I want to be a profitable member of society. But oftentimes when I really look in the mirror, I see a lot of flaws. Even the standards that I want to hold myself to, I don't live up to them. I am this mingled, confusing mix of faithful and flawed. And that's why these characters speak so powerfully to us. That's why Jonah is so relevant for us today. You wouldn't think that a man being swallowed by a fish would have terrible relevance for 21st century America. And yet it does. Because whether we like to admit it or not, we all have a little Jonah in us. And maybe a lot of Jonah in us. So what I want to do today is look at this passage of scripture carefully and see what we can learn from Jonah. But there's actually a better storyline in and under and behind Jonah. You see, Jonah, like the rest of the scripture, Jonah is not actually the main character of the Bible. He's not actually the main character of Jonah. The whole Bible is actually about a new and better Jonah. And his name is Jesus Christ and as we track through the stories all the way that Jonah fails, all the flaws and failures and bigotry that are in Jonah are not in Jesus. And all the ways that Jonah does good, Jesus actually does one better than him. So we're going to see as we walk through this story that yes, there are lessons to learn about Jonah, but ultimately the work of Jonah is pointing us to the greater work of Jesus Christ. The reality is, is that Jonah is less a fishtail. And more of a love story. I, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the reason that Jonah, wait for it, completely missed the boat. Ah, it's so good. So good. Is because ultimately he didn't reflect God's heart. I got exactly the response I was looking for. You rolled your eyes. That's powerful. Which leads me to my point this morning, which is simply this. We must emulate God's heart for people. That's what Jonah's really all about. It is not about getting swallowed by a fish or escaping a storm or running away. It is ultimately about emulating the heart of God for people. That is, if we are to follow the Lord, we must have the same posture towards people that God has towards people. God leans in towards people in this book. Or as it says over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and what does that look like to to live as a child of God look at what it says and walk in what's the word folks love 
as Christ also loved and gave himself up for us. So how do we see the loving heart of God in Jonah chapter 1? It's that question I want to tackle in the next few minutes together by just making two observations. I want to give us this morning a divine echocardiogram. What's an echocardiogram? It's a picture of the heart. And I think in Jonah chapter 1, we have a full color picture, or maybe better yet, a video, a moving picture of the heart of God towards people like you and me. Let me point out two things. The first thing is this. God loves rebellious people. The book of Jonah begins like many of the Old Testament prophecies do with the call of the prophet. And here's what it says in Jonah chapter 1 verse number 2. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And a century before Jonah's time, God had pronounced that Assyria and Nineveh would be destroyed through the prophet Nahum. Here's what it says over in Nahum chapter 1, verse number 8. The Lord will completely destroy Nineveh with an overwhelming flood. And he will chase his enemies into darkness. Whatever you plot against the Lord, he will bring to its complete destruction. In other words, Nineveh will be judged for their crimes. The reason for this judgment was the Assyrians were notoriously cruel. When speaking of this demise of Assyria, Nahum puts it this way. Nahum chapter 3, verse number 19. There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. And all who hear news about you will clap their hands over you. Why? For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. It's basically like Nahum is saying, listen Assyria, you're going to be punished and no one will care. They will celebrate your destruction because you're unceasing evil. And indeed, history bears out the testimony that Assyria was a nation of unceasing evil. Hear about some of their kings. Asher Nasipal flayed, that is, removed the skin of his victims while they were still alive. Flayed the victims of his uh, defeated cities and put their skins over the city walls. Shalmaneser, not to be outdone, made pyramids from the heads of his foes at the gates of defeated cities. And Asher Banipal, often considered the gentlest of the Assyrian kings, was known for tearing off the lips and hands of his victims as soon as he came into a conquered city. Because of these atrocities, the Assyrians were a universally hated group. And Jonah shared that hatred. Nevertheless, when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and pronounce judgment on Assyria, the prophet does virtually the opposite. Verse number 3. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Pause, bad idea. It is impossible to flee from the Lord's presence. And Jonah's attempt here, as we will see, is utterly futile. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare, wasted money, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. If you look on the map here, the city of Tarshish is often associated with modern-day Spain. It's essentially in the ancient world as far as you could possibly go 
from Nineveh. He goes in the opposite direction. In other words, Jonah was determined to go anywhere but what the Lord had told him to go. But as you know, as we read just a moment ago, in the rest of Jonah chapter 1, his tactic was completely unsuccessful. For the Lord disrupted Jonah's trip to not Nineveh. Look at what it says, verse number 4. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. These are seasoned sailors, and they're terrified. This is no small squall. This is a storm, and they think they are all going to die. They, they could save the ship. For the Lord had determined that he would get his messenger to Nineveh one way or another. I'm not sure this is an upgrade to first class or not. I don't know if he had the super diamond platinum elite, whatever it is that you get on Delta. But the Lord was like, Jonah, you're not sitting there. I've got another seat prepared for you. Jonah chapter 1 verse number 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We're going to say more about the fish next week. For now, I want to raise a question that hopefully I think you're maybe starting to ask in the back of your mind. Why was Jonah so reluctant to go? What was going on there? I mean, stop and think about it for a minute. God didn't say, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and deliver flowers. I want you to go and write a love song to the Ninevites and sing it for them. No, God was actually saying, Jonah, I've had it up to here with the Ninevites. I want you to go and pronounce judgment on them. And yet Jonah is super reluctant to go. It would seem that Jonah would have said, hey, I'm your man. I hate the Ninevites. You're mad at the Ninevites. Send me I will go and punish them. I will let them have it. It is a chance for me to be completely unfiltered. But that's not what happened. God says, go and pronounce judgment. And Jonah says, huh, I'm not going. So why? What's going on there? Well, fortunately, we don't have to speculate. Because Jonah in chapter 4 actually answers that very question. Skip over to chapter 4, verse number 2. God this is Jonah speaking to the Lord. Look at what he says. It's so, so insightful. That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. Why, Jonah? Why, why did you flee? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents, who relents from sending disaster. In other words, catch this. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he rightly understood that God was merciful. So Jonah had his theology right. He understood what God's disposition towards sinners was. The problem was not in his understanding. The problem was that Jonah didn't like it. Jonah knew who God was, and he didn't share God's heart. That's the problem. God, I know who you are. He actually quoted scripture to the Lord. I know who you are. I know you're merciful. I know you abound in love. I know you grant repentance. I don't like that. That shouldn't apply to the Ninevites, 
and therefore I'm out. He was on Shark Tank too. Listen, Jonah was theologically informed, but was not internally transformed. In Jonah's mind, the Assyrians were unqualified for God's mercy. Perhaps it was because of their cruelty. I mean, he had good reason in some sense. Humanly speaking, these were bad people. These were the worst of the worst. Perhaps it was Jonah's own commitment to Israel and his own cultural and ethnic preferences. We don't know exactly why, but whatever the case was, Jonah looked at the Assyrians, he weighed them on the scales, and he found them wanting. Now, that's ugly. It's gross. But before we judge Jonah too harshly, we must remember that this is a dangerous possibility for all of us. Let's be honest. It is quite possible that we can know God's word without having God's heart. That is possible for every single person sitting in this room. We can know God's word without having God's heart. Jonah, as I said, quoted scripture to the Lord. He had his facts in order. But he didn't have God's heart towards the Ninevite people. In Jonah's minds, the Assyrians were his, those people. Can you say that with me? Those people. Say that one more time. Do you have some of those people? Are there some those people in your life that you in some way, shape, or form believe are beyond the reach of God's mercy? Undeserving of God's mercy? Listen to these sentiments and see if any of them sound familiar. And when I point to you, you're going to say, you're like, I don't know. Am I going to get a good grade on it? Those people. Okay, ready? One more time. Do you know what the problem with our country is? Well, I didn't point to you yet. I wasn't done. You know what the problem with this nation is? It's... Well, I have my own faults. Yeah, I'm not perfect. I mean, I mess up, but at least I'm not like... You know what? Man, I'm an empathetic person. I mean, I can really walk in other people's shoes. I can see other perspectives. But you know what? I just don't understand how they think. Feel familiar? We all got a little Jonah in us, don't we? There are people who are undeserving, and not just undeserving, ineligible for God's grace and mercy. We've weighed them. They're lacking. God, you can give grace and mercy to the people that sin like me, but not the ones that sin different than me. My sins are bad, but their sins are worser. I'm a sinner, but they're really a sinner. Oh, your endless love pouring down on me. Made me new, but not them. Those Ninevites over there, they are excluded from the mercy and grace of God. Gospel Hope Church, if we are to have God's heart, we must not let a person's political views, their culture, their background, 
their preferences, their upbringing, listen, even their sin make them ineligible from God's grace. There is nothing in us that can disqualify us from the grace that is in Christ. And look, part, part of the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it is for sinners. It is for sinful people like you and me. The good news of Jesus Christ is good news precisely because it is for people who can't earn their own salvation. It is good news precisely because it comes to those who can't save themselves. It comes as good news precisely because it saves sinful people. Mark chapter 2 verse 17. It is not for those it is not for those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but what's it say, church? Sinners. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one, what's it say? Sinner who repents. And wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still Christ died for us look sin does not disqualify you from God's grace it qualifies you to receive it nobody is beyond the reach of God because Christ came to save sinners look God loves people right amen God loves people, which means God loves sinful people. Why? Because that's the only kind of people there are. There's no other category. If God loves anyone, God loves everyone. Because our sin cannot separate us from the love of God if we trust in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. That's why he came for sinners. Somehow, I don't know how, the story doesn't tell us all these details, but somehow, at some point in his life, Jonah lost sight of this big idea. The wonderful news of the book of Jonah is this, God never did. Oh, the Ninevites were bad and Jonah was bad. And God, or Jonah forgot that God loves Ninevites, but God didn't forget that he loves sinful, rebellious people like you and I. And that is perhaps the best news in the world. Number two. Huh. God loves rebellious people. And we all say amen to that. But here's the other kicker that sometimes we miss. God loves reluctant prophets too. The opening chapter of Jonah reveals something about the heart of God. Yes, God sent the storm and the fish, because he loved the people of Nineveh and wanted them to hear this message. But God also sent the storm and the fish because he loved Jonah. Stop and think about it for a moment. God had, could have gotten the gospel to Nineveh in a number of different ways, right? He could have sent an angelic messenger. Well, they just always do what he says, so that would have been easy, right? He could have given the king a, a vision so that the king could proclaim it to the people. He could have done some sort of miraculous sign, some sort of natural wonder there so that people could do it. He, he could have gone and got Isaiah, you know, one of the prophets with a little more, here am I, send me spirit. He could have got one of them. Instead, 
God chooses to send Jonah. Jonah! I mean, this dude is stubborn, bigoted, irritable, and morose. And I'm being nice. I mean, have you read this book? This guy's fairly despicable. And God says, that's my man. Why? Why? Here's why. Here's why. Because God loves wicked people and wayward prophets. Oh, that's good news for us. Throughout this story, the Lord is actively, actively, actively chasing down the Ninevites and Jonah. He is on the case. He is after the heart of the people of Nineveh, and he is after the heart of his wayward prophets. Look, here's why. This is such a blessing and encouragement to our heart. Here's why. Because though we may not share exactly the motivations for not sharing our faith that Jonah did, we can all, be re- we can all identify with being a reluctant share of God's message, can we not? <laughs> I mean, I will raise my hand a thousand times about how often I should have, would have, could have, but didn't. And the problem was not with the message I got. I got the best message in the world. I've been sent by the best king in the world. And yet for some reason or another, I don't always share the best message in the world because of something in me. I'm a reluctant prophet, folks. And I would venture to say probably so are you. We should see ourselves in this story. We should see ourselves as the Ninevites who were far from God and God came and got them. But we should also see ourselves as Jonah, who was far from God. And God came and got him. The reality is, the whole time that Jonah was running from God, God was running after Jonah. And the same is true of you and I. The Bible is clear. The Lord desires all his people to be actively sharing the good news. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. But remember this, God is not just calling us to do this because he wants to get something out of us. The Lord doesn't just want to do something through you, friends. The Lord wants to do something in you. The Lord is calling you to be involved in his work of spreading the gospel, not just because he wants people to be saved. He does. But the Lord is calling you to be involved in his work in sharing the gospel because the Lord wants to give you his very heart. He wants to change not just the one who hears, but the one who gives. Our Lord is in the business of transforming. He has a transforming message, and he wants to also transform his messengers. So if you feel inadequate... unqualified afraid ashamed guilty weak a failure God wants to meet you in all that insufficiency he could chase down Jonah, he could chase down you. Brings me great joy to know God caught him. 
Because we have the book, right? And it means even if you have struggled with this particular area of fear or failure for years, God can change you today. I believe God wants to change some of us today. Oh, would to God that in a year from now there would be 50 people sitting in these seats who came to know the Lord because of you. Not because Rod and I preached awesome sermons, but because you rolled up your sleeves and you say, I'm not going to be a reluctant prophet. And God, even when I am, help me. You're after me. You want my heart. And here it is on the table. What Jonah missed was this. Our unwillingness to share with broken people, it's actually an indicator of our own brokenness. When we hang on to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it indicates that we have not appreciated the full treasure that it is. But there is hope. There's wonderful hope. Because the success of the mission of Jesus Christ has never been dependent on you or I, ultimately. It's been dependent on the one who sent us. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it, in very unflattering terms, by the way. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Now we, speaking to those who follow Jesus, have this treasure, the gospel, in clay pots. Some commentators believe that that's referring to like privy pots. We have this treasure in clay pots. Why? So that the extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Friends, we're just a bunch of clay pots. We're not that awesome. Look, say it with me. I'm not awesome. <laughs> oh, yes, that's music to my ears. I'm not awesome. You're not awesome. God is awesome, and he's given us an awesome message. And he says, listen, clay pots, calling all clay pots, you bear in you a treasure of unspeakable and inexplicable value and worth. Just open up the lid. Let people begin to see it. The success of the mission is not dependent on us. Just like God could have chosen to take the gospel to Nineveh through an angel or a sign or somebody better. God could have chosen to take the gospel to your neighbors and to our city through someone else. God could have sent an army of angels from heaven to build his church and make disciples in our communities and our neighborhoods and around the world. And yet God, in his great wisdom, his inscrutable ways, chose to say, you know what? I'm going to use clay pots instead. I'm going to take a bunch of reluctant prophets and I'm going to give them this message and I'm going to literally change the world. What a privilege that is to be called and invited by our Lord to be part of what he is doing in the world. Look, you may be flawed. You may have failed. And you may at times be reluctant. But you're invited. The king of the universe invites you to be a part of the most wonderful thing in the world. Building his church. Making disciples. Seeing sinners passed from death to life. So you might hear all this and say, Ryan, man, I'm with you. I, and I think at some level, I know that God loves sinners. And even I, I know that God loves me and he's pursuing me. Even now, right now, I can feel the Holy Spirit like kind of working on me right now. 
come on, man. Like, I've been this way for years. I've never shared my faith. The last time I did it, it was five years ago, ten years ago. I mean, really, like, can I change? Or is just like, is this just like, like a secret I kind of take to the grave? Is, is there any hope for me at all? Like, really, to be different? And I think the answer is yes. But we got to do a little work to get there. You ready? Put your theological thinking caps on here for a moment. I could say to all of us, like, you have a responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the world. Is that right? Yes or no? It's right. It's in the Bible, okay? Newbies, it's in the Bible, okay? All right. We have a responsibility. But if I just say, like, you have a responsibility, like, how's that working for you? To borrow from the great theologian, Dr. Phil, right? Yes, we need to know that we have the responsibility, but just knowing that we have the responsibility is not enough to change us. We need something more fundamental to change us. So what is that? Well, I would argue that the way we actually are transformed in this area is not by just knowing of our responsibility. We need to know that. But actually looking at the one to whom this story ultimately points. Remember, I told you over behind Jonah, there's a new and better Jonah. His name's Jesus. And let me tell you just a little bit about him. Jesus, like Jonah, was sent as God's messenger. Jesus, like Jonah, was sent to a hostile people. And Jesus, like Jonah, faced the wrath of God. But there are some distinct dissimilarities there. When Jonah was sent, when Jesus was sent as God's messenger, he didn't go reluctantly. He went joyfully and willingly. When Jesus, like Jonah, went to a hostile people, his heart was full of love, even for the ones that laid hands on him and murdered him on the cross. And when Jesus faced the wrath of God, friends, he didn't do it for his own disobedience. He did it for our disobedience. And there is one more striking similarity between Jonah and Jesus, and it is this. Both Jonah and Jesus sacrificed themselves in their stories, right? But Jonah sacrificed himself to spite his enemies. Go to hell, Ninevites, over my dead body. Jesus sacrificed himself instead of his enemies over my dead body you can be saved brothers and sisters the way that we begin to capture the heart of God to emulate his heart is look again at the cross look again at the primary manifestation of the heart of God the person and work of Jesus Christ here's what it says in 1st John chapter 3 verse 16 this is how we know what love is Jesus life Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and then John draws out a clear implication we should also lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters in other words, when you look at the heart of God as displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ, the implication for our lives is simply this. We must be people of love. Look, I don't know exactly your story. I don't know your struggle with this area at all. But here's what I do know. 
if you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus, in your very DNA is the ability to love even Ninevites and Jonas. Why? We can love because we've been loved. We love because he first loved us. And that is part of who you are if you've trusted in the gospel. Let me close simply by reading a passage of scripture for us. And it is this. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But listen, friends. But God proves his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Christ died for rebellious people and for reluctant prophets. And so whether you, whatever end of the spectrum you are on this morning, Christ loves you. And let that love propel you to lay down your life for others. Well, I, I want to call us to a couple of action steps this morning, very concrete ones. I want to ask you to pray this morning for two very clear things. First of all, I want you to pray for your own heart. Pray that God would give you this heart of love for your those people. That God will begin to break you of any barriers that would prevent you from being involved in his work in the world. Lord, I'm afraid. Help me. Give me courage. Lord, I don't feel like I know the right things to say. Lord, help me to study. Lord, I've been bigoted like Jonah. Lord, help me to forgive. Whatever it is, begin to say, Lord, would you change my heart and just capture me with that love remember God's pursuing you right now he's pursuing you if there's any level of conviction that is the Lord chasing you down right now second thing I want to invite you to do is I want you to pray I want you to pray about one person one name that you would say by God's grace I'm going to begin to pray and strategize and I'm going to open my mouth and try to speak about Jesus and the wonderful love that he shows to somebody specific in the over the course of the next month. So here's what we're going to do right now. I'll give you an opportunity to pray. I, I want to invite you. Our prayer team's going to go right now. So if you'd like to pray with somebody or have somebody pray with you, they are standing by. These are folks that know how to pray. And if you would like to pray with somebody and just say, hey, will you pray for my heart in this matter? They'd be happy to do that. If you want to grab somebody sitting around you and pray with them, that's fine too. Just invite you to pray about this particular area. And then secondly, you see right over here, we have a board that says, who's your one? I would encourage you, just as kind of an accountability before the Lord, to go over there and write down the name of someone, first name of somebody, or the initial of somebody, that you are saying, by God's grace, I'm going to pray about this person and ask the Lord to give me an opportunity to share Jesus with them over the next month. Okay, those are our two action steps. Pray for your own heart. Do it with somebody around you. And two, will you write down a name on the board? Let's fill up that. And by God's grace, in a month from now, some of those people are sitting here. Some of those people have come to know the Lord. Some of those people have had great conversations about Jesus. And we would be a part of what God is doing in the world. Amen? Okay. All right. So when you go up to the 
Who's your one board? If you could just kind of come from this side and come around this side just so we're sensitive about those with COVID and things like that. So just be sensitive about that. Watch people and try not to get too crowded up around the board. I mean, if revival breaks out, that's okay. You know, it's fine. We'll let the Lord be the Lord. Okay, so just come up this way. We have markers and hand sanitizers for you over there to try to make that as safe as possible. So let me pray for us. And Jalen's going to sing, and I want to invite you to pray. And then at the end of our time, the band will come up and lead us in one more song together. Father, we confess. Lord, we fall far short of being the messengers that you have called us to be. Forgive us for our Jonah spirit, Lord. Forgive us for our reluctance. Forgive us for letting other things get in the way from proclaiming the greatest message in the world. Would you forgive us, Lord? And would you pursue us right now? Would by your spirit, you work in our hearts in profound ways. Maybe be shaped by your loving heart for both rebellious people and reluctant prophets, Lord. Shape us this morning through your grace, by your word, in your spirit. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Pray with one another. Write some names on the board.